You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So the unknown came in 2020, right? It changed the workplace forever. And while some of us are getting back to the office, some of us do find ourselves in a new normal at home. The future of work has changed, and so has the future of seating. X-Chair is at the forefront of home and office seating during this transition. And now X-Chair's newest innovation, LMAX Temperature Regulation, will take your seating comfort to a whole new level. Patent-pending LMAX allows you to experience cooling, heat, and massage in your low back. It is amazing. X-Chair LMAX delivers cooling heat, and massage technology directly to your core, regulating body temp, helping increase blood flow, muscle recovery, and energy. All perks that make working from home or the office awesome. Here's what you do. Go to xchairroam.com right now. That's the letter X, chairroam.com. Or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR and save 100 bucks off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchairroam.com right now. Use the code XWHEELS for free X-Wheel blade casters. That's xchairroam.com. Imagine if uh, Earl Wood said, you know, v- Venus came out and everybody said, oh, man, this, this guy's not so crazy after all. This, this daughter he's been talking about forever, this self-promoting guy, his daughter's actually pretty good. And he doubles down and says, you know what? I got a better one at home. And you know why she's better? Because she's meaner. Sure enough, he, he's exactly right. So if, if Earl Wood said, this, this tiger's all well and good, but there's, there's another, you know, there's another brother, uh, Leopard, you've never heard of, who's two years younger, he's going to be better. What's cracking? Welcome to the Jim Rohn Podcast, episode 185. Great to be back today, and I'm excited to connect with John Wertheim. John is a longtime vet of Sports Illustrated. Now, when I say long time, I'm not messing around here. He has been with the publication for more than a quarter of a century and now serves as an executive editor. Also, a prolific author who has churned out 10 books, including his most recent Glory Days, the summer of 1984, and the 90 Days that Changed Sports and Culture Forever. On top of all of that, he gigs as a tennis channel analyst and a 60 Minutes correspondent. Needless to say, he is one very busy and accomplished dude, and we have a lot of ground to cover, so let's not waste any more time. Let's get right at it. Episode 185 with John Wertheim is coming at you right now. So, John, a lot of ground to cover with you. I really appreciate the opportunity to have you on the pod and to get caught up. First things first, how are things? How is your life? No complaints. A little crazy, but uh, we're all back back on planes and coming out of COVID. Uh, how about you? Yeah, same. Exactly. It's kind of strange. A little bit surreal, a little bit weird, but the same way. So 
I feel the same way about that that you do. Now, let me ask you this. I'm one of those old school types that still has the physical magazine, Sports Illustrated, delivered to my home. And sure enough, John, this week, there it was, the gambling issue. Now, that in and of itself is kind of mind-blowing, like a gambling issue, right? Not that long ago, the topic was completely taboo. Not that long ago, we wouldn't even broach the subject or discuss lines on my radio program. The thought of a pro franchise, John, in Vegas, in my lifetime, forget about it, yet here we are. Not that this is a hard question to answer, but how and why did this all change so dramatically and so quickly? It, it's a great question. And, I mean, you know, the, 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 as you and I both know, the, the short answer is money. Um, I think it just it got to a point where it's, you know, if, if you can't beat them, join them. And I think uh, whether it was leagues, whether it was unions, whether it was media, I think everyone sort of realized this is going on. Fans like to do this activity we ain't going to police it. We may as well get in the game. And uh, Adam Silver's uh, New York Times op-ed is sort of often cited as uh, one of these great plot points. But basically, there's, there's too much money on the table. And um, everyone kind of said, we're changing our stance because we don't want to, you know, we don't want to miss out on this, uh, this land grab. You know, it really is something like, for instance, Bud Selig, as recently as 2012, said that he was appalled by the idea of expanding sports wagering outside of Nevada, adding that gambling is, quote, evil that creates doubt and destroys your sport. And I'm not talking about 1940. I'm saying as recently as a decade ago, he was saying things like that. Let me ask you, is it hyperbole to say that the one thing that Buzz Selig was so fearful of the one thing he thought could ruin his sport might actually save his sport, gambling. I mean, is there not a sport more tailor-made for gambling than baseball? Yeah, we were, we were joking that, uh, you know, there, there was a recent conversation with Rob Manfred and Adam Silver, and they were both, you know, Adam Silver basically said, your, your pace of play is perfect to lay down a bet. You know, we're, we're, we're so fast, there's so much action, uh, we're missing out on all this in-game betting. I, you know, I mean, I think something else here that, that's going on is what, what is the great fear, right? I mean, what, why were all these commissioners, you're right, as recently as within the last decade, why did everybody think this was so evil and that this was going to, to ruin sports? Well, it's this fear of corruption, right? If we, if we can't trust these results, if this is pro wrestling, if, if we don't think that these are honest efforts and the competition is, is fair and honest, the whole enterprise falls apart. Um, so that's kind of the, the big fear for years and years was that, Sports were going to be dealing, you know, it was, it was Black Sox scandal, it was game fixing, it was match fixing, it was that this wasn't going to be uh, legitimate competition. Um, I mean, I think what you have now is basically the market working the other way, where these athletes are making so much money to have the taint of not competing legitimately makes, makes no sense. So a, a generation ago, somebody says, you know, to pick a number, yeah, here, here, here's $100,000 dump dump this game or more realistically you know miss a couple free throws you might think about it when you're in the nba now and the, and the median salary is you know eight and a half million dollars a season the economic incentive to to cheat the un, the economic incentive to uh then with the risk you know just to sort of risk everything it's gone away so I, I think in a weird way as sports have gotten bigger and the athletes have made more money it's almost reduced the incentive to dump and not um, and, and not sort of increase the incentive. I think that's really interesting what you just said because that was the fear all along. And I'm going to be really transparent. For a long time, I actually tended to believe the same thing, that, you know, once you have that 
that trust violated and it's no different than something scripted. It's no different than professional wrestling. Then once you violate that, you can never have that back. But then again, is that really the case? You know, you had a major NBA gambling scandal with the referee and Tim Donaghy. That sport continued on and went on. So to your point, when athletes are making that much money, they have that much to lose. What's the incentive to cheat? However, it doesn't mean that it won't happen. For instance, we've seen it even in tennis, right? So it can still happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you've got to sort of look at the, the leagues and the conditions. So Serena Williams is not going to cheat and then dump right. the match. Some guy that's ranked number 1,100 is playing in Uzbekistan. So tennis has all this match fixing. Um, and, the, you know, the players get caught from time to time. And it's a terrible headline. And then you look closely and you say, these, these aren't tennis players. These are guys who are playing tennis almost as a hobby for a few. But it's like say, baseball has a huge steroids problem. You say, well, who is it? Is it the Yankees? Is it the Dodgers? You say, no, it's an independent league in Saskatchewan. Um, I mean, you've got to go pretty far down to find these guys that are dumping matches. And for them, you know, they're, they're playing for 75 bucks, and you, you can make 10000 for, uh, you know. I mean, I think the one thing, too, that we it's, it's no longer you need to point shave, you need to dump, you need to, you know, you need to throw a game. I mean, now it's like, the, the third pass you throw needs to be incomplete. I mean, I, I think it's, it's getting, uh, you know, as, as we look at these micro bets and in-game betting, we look at the, the scandal from like the 50s and 60s and it's point shaving. I mean, now it can be a lot more nuanced. But I also think, you know, you, you can bet on anything. I mean, there, there was a story I came across where literally these sort of beer league football games in Australia where like the, the wives are working the barbecue and everybody's sort of eating and drinking beer at halftime. And they're getting thousands and thousands of dollars from Central Europe in uh, in wagering. Um, you can you can put a bet down on anything. Are these guys these you know the the, the plumbers and the firemen in Australia are, are they subject to uh, to corruption? <laughs> Probably. Um, is Tom Brady going to throw an incomplete pass because some guys offering him a few million bucks? I I don't think so. So yeah, I mean you, you go far down the the food chain and that this whole risk reward uh, calculation can change pretty fast, but. You don't have to worry that, you know, Roger Federer is going to dump a tennis match. It's, it's some guy ranked, uh, you know, 1100 playing in a public park. Here's some real talk for you. Two out of three men will experience some form of hair loss by the time they're 35. More than 50 million men in the U.S. suffer from male pattern baldness. And there are only two FDA-approved medications that can prevent hair loss. Keeps offers both. Keeps is offering a simple, stress-free way to keep your hair. Convenient virtual doctor consultations and medications delivered straight to your door every three months. You do not have to leave your home. Plus, low-cost treatment starting at only 10 bucks per month and Keeps offers generic versions. Discreet packaging, proven results. Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of its competition. Prevention is key. Treatments can take four to six months to see results, so you want to move on this quickly. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash Rome. Receive your first month of treatment for free. That's keeps.com slash Rome and get your first month for free. keeps.com slash Rome. 
it's not the way it used to be, right? Like it used to be the casual fans would bet the Super Bowl or the NBA Finals or the World Series or the Kentucky Derby. And I was going to ask you, but the fact of the matter is there's almost nothing that you can't bet on. You can get down on anything at all. You mentioned in-game betting. Like how prominent and how popular is in-game betting and micro betting compared to just betting the lines and the outcomes of games? How big is that going to be? That's going to overtake uh, lines and games and point spreads. And it's, it's happening fast. That is the growth sector. It makes sense on a number of levels. Um, you know, this is, this is like $5 blackjack hands, too, right, where you can, you can put, put 1000 bucks into play. It may go up 5 bucks, lose 5 bucks. I mean, I, th- I think you, could, you can make a lot of bets in a hurry. And that's why some of these statistics are misleading, too, where you talk about all the money wagered, and you say, yeah, but it's – I mean, again, th- think back to the $5 blackjack table, and you, you play for an hour, and you walk away up 20 bucks or losing 20 bucks. But if you can bet on every single pitch in a baseball game or – you know, I, th- I think a lot of these kind of uh, – these creative prop bets, you know, is, is Steph Curry's assists plus – you know, is his three-point percentage, is that going to be more or less than Draymond Green's rebounds? I mean, there are going to be a number of creative bets during games, too, which are going to be popular. But I think a lot of this is just sort of uh, it's high volume, it's easy, and it, it's a lot more engaging than just waiting for the final outcome to see if the, you know, if, if the Denver Nuggets uh, – hit the spread or didn't it's really odd john like for instance i i've always kind of prided myself and and this is something i wore like as a badge of honor back in the day that hey i don't need to have action to enjoy watching a game or i don't need to get down to watch a football game you know never mind that they pay me to do it but i really took a lot of pride in that because you know why did you and i get into this because we love the game we love the sports we love the stories we love the different angles i I mean i gotta be really honest i mean i i do play i do gamble i do get some action and i'm not even talking about like crazy over the top action but any kind of action makes it i don't want to say it makes it better but it definitely is different it's more interesting and i don't have a problem admitting that it's just very unusual to me that i never ever thought that but then when you do it it really is different i mean have you dabbled at all and do you find any of that or do you find yourself trying to keep as much separation as possible you know, I, I don't, and, and there's still, I mean, it's, it's an interesting, um, you know, I mean, I, I think it's, it's getting harder and harder to sort of, I think, to, to sort of justify these bans. Um, but, you know, I mean, a lot of times you can't, you'll sign something before you pick up a credential saying you promise not to, hmm. to put a wager on it. Um, I don't, but I get it. And I, I tend to go pretty libertarian on this and sort of, you know, look, we're pe- people, I have Friends, you know, ed- educated people who are buying currency based on whether they, they like the name of it, and people speculating about stocks, and they have no idea what the company can do. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty open to the idea that this is just another, you know, this is kind of an, an American thing we do, and this is uh, betting and putting a wager and taking a piece of, uh, of action on an event yet to be determined is something we do all the time. Why should we look at it differently if it's, you know, how many games the Padres are going to win this season or whether Tatis is next uh, at bat is he's going to get a hit? Why, why is that any different than putting money on, on crypto, which, uh, you know, is, is equally susceptible to corruption? And it's something in some cases we know less about. So at, least, at least we have some expertise in this. So I, I tend to uh, I tend to go pretty libertarian on this. I, I don't do it, but I, I get it. And I understand why that would make me watch a game that otherwise – might not draw me in. We all are looking for ways to. You talk about Sports Illustrated in the uh, you know the, the 
paper version or the print version of a mail, we're all looking for ways to uh, improve engagement. And if getting fans into my arena and letting them go during a timeout to a sports book is going to get them there, I, I, I get it. So, uh, I, you know, I, it's one of these things, like, I think, I think you're right. I mean, you and I grew up and sort of reflexively – remember when uh, – remember – I'll give you a story. Remember – you remember Jimmy the Greek, right? Of course. And uh, Jimmy the Greek leaves CBS, the, the handicapper Jimmy the Greek, and even sort of the name has this kind of wink-wink to it, and he leaves CBS uh, on, on his own doing, er, early cancel victim. And the NFL basically told CBS, you can't put another one of these prognosticators. We can't have another one of these guys who talks about Vegas and lines. And basically the NFL told CBS in no uncertain terms they weren't to replace Jimmy the Greek with another handicapper. So it's not just that 10 years ago the commissioners were all talking about how sports wagering couldn't be expanded because it was going to bring ruin to the league. They were even telling the network's who to hire based on whether they have these, these sort of affiliation. And uh, as you say, now we have, you know, we'll, we'll get, we'll have a Super Bowl in Vegas before uh, the end of the decade. I think these are all really, really valid points. In fact, not only, and you've discussed this, it was not that long ago that even Tony Romo could not host a fantasy party right. in Vegas. That was only a few years ago. You know, so it, it is amazing how, how quickly this has all changed. I appreciate your thoughts on this. Hey, John, before I let you go, because you have done so many things and I have the opportunity, where do you come out? We just had the Olympics, and I'm curious, where do you come out on tennis in the Olympics? You know, that age-old argument, for instance, that the Olympics needs the sport a lot more than the sport needs the Olympics. Do you happen to see it that way? Um, I You know, I, I was in... London, where they played at Wimbledon, and it was the biggest deal in the world to the players. And I, I think overall it's probably a net positive. I mean, the, the players want to go. They want to represent their country. It's, it's a cool thing. You know, it's, um, it's a little like the basketball cycle, too, where the guys go the first time and it's great, and they carry the flag, and by the third time they're sort of like, yeah, I've done that already. Um, but I, I have no problem with it. I also think um, – but there were all these, you know, Novak Djokovic goes there, and you got know, guys won $150 million, and uh, he's marching with the other athletes, and all, you know, the Bulgarian rowers, are, everyone's trying to pose with him. I mean, I, I think sort of it's a win-win on balance. It's, it's a little weird. Um, it's uh, yeah, Sometimes these athletes in these sports may get a little too much attention. I mean, Novak Djokovic wins. Wimbledon, it's a huge event. He wins millions of dollars, and then he goes to the Olympics. That's a lot different from someone who has been training for this exclusively for four or five years. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm for it. I mean, I think sort of uh, it'll be in Paris at the French Open site in 2024, and I think it'll get a nice bump from that. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I, I got no problems with it. But I'm curious. You, uh, you have strong feelings? Yeah, no, I don't. I think it's fine. I, I have no problem with it. I think it's, it's, it's a different venue. You're right. It's not the same thing like Djokovic at Wimbledon. You know, that, that would not be the same thing as him going. When you want to find great rates, organize your finances, or just make smarter money decisions, LendingTree is here for you. With the LendingTree app, you can see all your bank accounts at a glance so you can better understand your spending and your saving and build a budget that works for you. Monitor your credit score, explore ways to improve your credit, get automatic alerts to protect your identity, and LendingTree can make sure you're getting your best deal on loans, insurance, credit cards, and more through their wide network of banks and lenders. LendingTree also gives you personalized tips and insight into how to save money and reach your financial dreams. 
For more than 20 years, LendingTree has helped millions of people simplify their finances with trusted education, expert advice, and comprehensive services. There are no subscriptions, no fees, no hassle, just easy, honest, straightforward support to make the most of your money and achieve greater financial health. Download the free LendingTree app right now and get started. See why thousands of people turn to LendingTree every day for smarter, easier finances. Terms and conditions may apply. NMLS number 1136. I'm kind of interested in your thoughts on Djokovic and like how how should we view him now? Like what do you make of him now? The Olympics obviously did not go well for him. And in some cases, he's kind of a good example, John, I think of give me an A or give me an F. Like rarely is there any in between <laughs> with him, especially on social media where he is alternately viewed guys ever or one of the worst. Like at this point in time, where do you come out on him and how should we view him? He, he is a good guy. It would be really easy if he were a jerk. I mean, if, if he were just kind of the bad guy and wore the black hat and was, was arrogant and obnoxious, it would be really easy. Um, he's not, though. He's, my, my experience is nothing but positive. I think he's well-intentioned. I think his heart's in the right place, and he just doesn't stick the landing a lot of times. But I've, I've never seen an athlete want to be liked which is good. You know, he, he cares what people think about him. I mean, it's, it's not, um, he, he's very thin skinned and he just can't get out of his own way sometimes. And I think a lot of these are kind of, you know, it's the, the irony is his tennis is so clean and so crisp and the way he conducts himself, sometimes it's, it's on the sloppy side. And if you were a bad guy, you'd look at some of the things he, he does and you'd say, Oh, this is easy. It's just another, you know, an entitled sports jerk. Give me my Roger Federer. Djokovic is really complicated because he's a good guy and every, you know, the other players tend to like him and they kind of, it's more of an eye roll than uh, anger among the people in tennis. Cause you kind of, you're always like, you know, you're better than this. How, how did you let it get to this? How did you sort of make the mistake of hitting the ball that hit the lines woman? How did you make the mistake of saying that? It's really kind of bad execution rather than bad intent. Right. And how does it keep happening? And John, you recently wrote something I thought was really interesting about Richard Williams and the fact that he's, quote, a life force and that his feat of nurturing Venus and Serena and molding them into champions in every sense, it's not, and quote now, it's not merely indisputable, but forms the spine of perhaps the greatest sports story of age. So let me ask you, and this is obviously, it's, it's an amazing story without question, what makes it arguably the greatest sports story of our age? It is such a crazy, and to me, it's, I would say, as, as much as we all know the story, I mean, yeah, so Serena Williams is going to be 40 in a few weeks. Yeah. I mean, this is already 40. I mean, they've been part of the sports landscape for a quarter of a century. And they'd win and win and sort of casual, yeah, yeah, Serena won again. And I think people step, step back and here comes this guy who's, who's had a family with another woman. He now has a second family, and he has these two women that said, I, I want to raise these girls for the express purpose. I mean, he'll tell the story. He hides his wife's birth control for the express purpose of raising tennis stars. Yeah. And he does it, and they're sisters. And I, I would say, imagine if uh, Earl Wood said, you know, v- Venus came out, and everybody said, oh, man, this, this guy's not so crazy after all. This, this daughter he's been talking about forever, this self-promoting guy, his daughter's actually pretty good. And he doubles down and says, you know what? I got a better one at home. And you know why she's better? Because she's meaner. 
And everybody says, you got to be kidding me. Like, quit, quit while you're ahead. And sure enough, he, he's exactly right. So if, if Earl Wood said, this, this tiger's all well and good, but there's, there's another, you know, there's another brother, uh, Leopard, you've never heard of, who's two years younger, he's going to be even better. <laughs> and you have the two, I mean, they're literally the, the two best players of the last quarter century. And they shared a bunk bed in Compton and were conceived for the express purpose of being the two best tennis players in the world. Um, you know, there's a, I think I wrote that. There's a, you know, there's a Will Smith movie coming out in a few months about Richard Williams. And I think I was writing that. I, I hope it's complicated and complex and not just, uh, you know, not, not just a victory lap because he, he's a complicated guy, but just from a math standpoint, I mean, never mind that, you know, Venus and Serena and they had the ups and downs and they had a sister and they, they played into their forties and the, I mean, there are all sorts of sort of side angles, but just, from a math perspective, having the two best players in any pursuit, sports, art, theater, if, if the two best actors in the world were, you know, the, the two Phoenix brothers, you'd say, this is insane. So just, just from a proportion standpoint alone, just from a probability standpoint alone, the two best players of the last quarter century in an activity they played all over the world are from the same family and they, they shared a bunk bed in Compton. I mean, it's just... The, the math alone makes it absurd. I was going to say the math, right? The math is absolutely insane. And I can remember, and because I was a kid who grew up in Southern California playing tennis, I had kind of an appreciation for it. Remember also that when he was doing this, they weren't playing matches, remember? Like when they came up, they were not playing tournaments. They they were just practicing and drilling and hammering. And I'm like, that. how is that going to work? How does that make sense? And the one thing also that kind of gets overlooked, remember he was always front and center, always front and center, and then all of a sudden he just kind of disappeared. Like what happened? Where did he go? Did he just decide at that point, it's up to them, I've trained them, they go on? Like where did he go when he was always right there? That is a uh, that's a great question. I'm curious to see what the, the cinema treatment is. Um, no, I mean some of this was just, you know, he's not, not a young guy, and it takes something out of you to fly over the world. And you know, good good for him also for realizing like my job here is done. My daughters are in, you know when, when I was in my twenties, I didn't want to go travel the world with my parents either. I, mean, I think some of this is just natural. Um, you know, I mean he no longer was married to their their mother at one point. He had a, a family with uh, you know he. Had, had another family come along. Um, not, not a young guy, either Richard Williams. But yeah, I mean, I, I think some of it is just he, he did tremendous work. He instilled in them these values. They were self-sufficient, mature, confident women, and sort of, you know, my, my, my work here is done. I don't need to. Uh, I, I don't need to travel the world and make sure they can take care of themselves. They can, they can do that already. But no, I mean, it's just. Um, it's a wild story. I mean, imagine, it's like what you said, too. Imagine some guy, hey, I got the heavyweight champion. Uh, he, he's home, but I'm not, I'm not going to put him in any golden gloves. If you want to see him fight, you're just going to have to give him a real fight. And you say, well, who, who's he fought? Well, he hasn't fought anyone yet. He's just really good. Trust me on this. I've been trading him myself. Well, what are your credentials? Yeah, I don't know. I've been reading books, but I'm pretty good on boxing. <laughs> right. you, sure, you sure you don't want to put him in golden gloves? Ah, he doesn't need golden gloves. He's ready for a pro fight. And then you actually get him a pro fight, and he knocks the guy out. I mean, it's, it's just what, what he did and what he did to, to the model and what he did, you know, there's this, I think it's no coincidence that in 2021, Venus and Serena are still, you know, co combined age of uh, 81, and they're still out there. I think some of that is because he didn't waste time grinding them in these junior tennis tournaments. I mean, I think it, what, what he did to the whole kind of whole architecture, the whole template of raising 
sports champions is, is something that uh, we're going to be talking about in, in 100 years. Hey, you want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. Now, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing because of all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations do apply. And I think you're right. Like when you lay it out like that, then this might not just be a great story. It might be the greatest sports story of the age. And I, I had to get too far off on a tangent. But then, you know, to your whole point about that this was the template and this is the way he went about it. And again, let's not forget, this was not like a Nick Boateri thing. This was not Bradenton. This was not South Florida. It might have been South Southern California, but it was Compton. You know, but how different than the other really complex story of Andre Agassi, who, you know, from day one was just a drill machine and did not love the sport and did not love doing it. But th- that's something altogether different. I don't know, John, like like John, like Andre, I-, I miss talking to Andre. I think for all the years that I've done this and all the different sports and athletes and athletes I've spoken to, Andre Agassi has always been to me one of my favorite, most compelling athletes to watch, to listen, to spend any time around. Like, where do you come out on Andre? I'm, uh, I'm I'm totally with you, and uh, you know he's he's not. I, I think it's also talk talk about crazy underrated sports stories. Yeah, I, I yeah. told you that. Uh, hey, hey, Michael Jordan's going to marry uh, Lisa Leslie, and not only that, you have the one of the great towering male athletes in his sports going to marry the one of the most towering female athletes. You know what? They're going to be totally normal. They're going to uh, you know have a completely functional marriage and sort of live in conventional suburban life and raise two kids and kind of disappear. Um, Andre Agassi's married to Steffi Graf. I mean, if, if you if you said that 25 years ago, and then you'd say, oh, yeah, by the way, after 20 years of marriage, you're never going to see them in tabloids and everything, you know, by still a faithful, happy, uh, functional marriage. You'd say, that's insane. Um, no, I, I'm with you. I mean, Andre's always been a pleasure to talk to. And, um, it, it's funny. I mean, he sort of got that punk reputation. And then you go back and you say, well, he's, he's 17, 18, 19 years old. Um, I mean, as life cycles of athletes have changed and have gotten longer, certainly the case in tennis, but, you know, it's Brady, it's LeBron, it's, you know, I thought Donis Haslam still in the league. I mean, it's, as these athletes have played into their 40s, I think one effect of that is we go back and we say, wait a second, Jermaine O'Neal was 17 when he was drafted? You know, Andre Agassi was already a punk and he was 17? Um, these, these reputations get, get made early, and like most of us, people evolve and mature. And, uh, uh, you know, Andre Agassi at 27 was very different than Andre Agassi at 17. And, uh, it, you know, I, I just you're catching me right off of Jermaine O'Neal. It's the same, uh, same thing. So, no, Andre's great and um, has been for years and years and years. And if he wasn't, it was because he was a, a teenager and not because he was, you know, a, a sentient adult who made bad choices. It was because he acted like, most of us did uh, before, you know, we were fully formed adults. Uh, I got two thoughts on that really quickly. Like, Andre, when you talk about an underrated story, first of all, you're right. I mean, some, it's beyond, it almost defies belief that he's married to Steffi Graf and that we really don't see or hear very much about them except for philanthropic activity in Vegas and the charter schools that they work on. I mean, it's amazing 
And then you mentioned Jermaine O'Neal, and you mentioned him a couple of times. Did you speak to him recently during this tour? Because I had gone a number of years without speaking to him before that doc dropped on Netflix. And I always thought, found him to be extremely thoughtful, always liked him. And then I was almost saddened by what he's had to carry around with him since the melee at the palace. So you mentioned him. Did you speak to him recently? You know, it, it's funny. I mean, my first job out of college was working for the Portland Trailblazers. So I, I, knew, I knew Jermaine O'Neal at 17, 18 years old. Um, I haven't spoken to him in, in years. And I think it was one of these things with the doc where, I mean, first of all, it's just a, a crazy to me that you'd, you'd have a 17-year-old in the NBA. Right. But um, no, I, I, I guess it's one of these things. I don't know if you had the same thing with the doc where you sort of say, you know, it, it never really struck me like that, but Steven Jackson got his rings and sort of stuck around and it's like a bit of a controversial figure, but we knew that. And our, our test got his great redemption and you know, the Pacers are still a franchise that are worth a billion. Jermaine O'Neal sort of got it worse than anyone. And I don't know if I fully recognize that until you, you sort of say, Oh yeah, you're right. He really sort of, he's the one that really got screwed in all this. And I, I think you're right. I think most of us kind of, uh, you know, you, we all talked about uh, Kobe fed me the ball. And uh, we, we all talked about sort of the, the Ron Artest redemption. And we sort of missed the fact that there was this NBA all-star in the prime of his career who really, you know, I mean, this, this, really was a big pivot point for him. And, no, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I, I, mean I, I had my issues with that documentary, which we'll talk about another time, but uh, I thought um, we all kind of missed that, that, boy, this, this was a really ascending young talent and a good guy, and it kind of rewrote his whole career. Oh, 100%. So you're hanging out with some friends, and you're putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end, people start to head out, and you think about calling for a ride, Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home okay. It's not that big of a deal. What are the odds that you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill somebody. Everybody knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic, often deadly. However, that still does not stop everybody from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe. Plan ahead. Get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or somebody else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Paid for by NHTSA. No, and, and if you talk, and I mean, obviously you see the doc and you get a sense of that, he won't necessarily come right out and say it. But I asked him about that. I'm like, Jermaine, what about that? I mean, is there not this sense of like, I mean, Ron got his, Jack got his, eh, Reggie didn't get his, but I mean, you were the good guy. You were the young guy. You were the guy that not only were you ascending, but the team was, and you could tell, man, he want, he's like, listen, I, I'm not. I'm not here to come for the NBA. I'm not here to come for the Pacers. I have generational wealth. It's going to change the lives of all of us. But, man, I wanted that ring. I wanted that ring so badly. We were so close. And then everything changed in an instant. And people don't know what happened that night. So to your point, yeah, I think he kind of did get the worst of it. 
John, let me finally ask you this. And again, I'm picking my spots, and I so appreciate this time. You and I spoke on my daily show about a great book that you wrote, Glory Days, the Summer of 1984, and the 90 Days to Change Sports and Culture Forever. Really, really good book. And there's a number of things in the book, but I want to ask you about that summer and the fact that Bobby Knight was coaching the American basketball team at the Olympics. The tryouts were in your hometown of Bloomington. Who was on that team, for those who don't know? And then what was life like around town when all those guys showed up? The, the 84 Olympic team was, uh, this was still before pros. So these were all college kids and amateurs. And it was, you know, Jordan and Chris Mullen and Patrick Ewing was a center and Wayman Tisdale. I mean, what was interesting were the players that were cut. Barkley, Malone, Stockton, Joe Duvars. Um, and, you know, one of the points I had in the book was, you know, the, the players all came to my town, because you, you tried out for the coach, he didn't go to you. The players had no leverage, they had no agency. They were, in, in a lot of cases, they were, they graduated from college. You know, Jordan had declared for the draft, but he wasn't a pro yet. And all these players trying out for, for Bob Knight, for this disciplinarian, for the general, they kind of did what he wanted to do. They were stuck in my hometown. They were sort of in this, in this college town, and I couldn't paid. Uh, David Stern is the new NBA commissioner. He's a few weeks on the job, and he says it would be great if the players came to New York for the draft. You know, I'll put a ball cap on them. They'll get to meet their new team. The, the fans will get to see them for the first time a lot of cases. And Bob Knight said, absolutely not. So Michael Jordan gets drafted with the third pick, of course, uh, behind Sam Bowie and Elijah And Jordan goes out for uh, McDonald's and George Raveling, the assistant coach, buys him a Big Mac and then it's back to practice. And that's draft night for Michael Jordan. That's, that's his welcome to the NBA moment. Um, so, I mean, some of this is, it's nostalgia, it's kind of charming, it's quaint, sports were so pure. But the other thing is, like, the power of the athletes was really pretty minimal. I mean, the, the idea that Bob Knight decided whether Michael Jordan could or couldn't go to his own draft is pretty absurd today. Incredible, incredible. Also, in part of the book, though, you mentioned there's also not just the sports, but the culture, right? That was the summer of Springsteen's Born in the USA. That was the summer of Prince's Purple Rain. So leave us with this thought. How big of a basketball fan was Prince? Oh, man. Uh, if, if Prince had grown beyond five foot two, who knows what uh, would have happened. But no, Prince, uh, Prince was a huge basketball fan both as a player i mean I, you ever see the uh the Chappelle, um the the shirts and skin the sure. um i can't remember what it's called now the, the dave Chappelle print sketch right but yes. it's it's 100 percent factual right and uh prince prince was really good at basketball he had he had two hoops at paisley park he'd bring a basketball on the road but also was a huge fan and he would go to games and a lot of times he'd go in disguise because he didn't want to sit in the sweep and then even to, to the links, I mean, he, he go to WNBA games in disguise um, because he just wanted to watch really good basketball. And um, he, he almost kicked, he was a joke, but it wasn't. He almost kicked a guy out of a band. He had a, a, a Vince Carter jersey on, and then one of his bandmates said, uh, I didn't know you liked Chris Carter so much. Wow. And he, you, know, you, you got to get your Carters right, brother. And uh, the, the bandmate was on the outs for not uh, recognizing the Vince Carter jersey. No, Prince, Prince was hardcore hoops fan. I love that. So finally, then, that, that summer, right? So how do you explain everything? I mean, there, and I, I didn't get into this, but really quickly, there were so many different things happening artistically, athletically, across sports, music, entertainment, and it all happened in the same summer that you write about. Is that a coincidence, or was there something which led up to all of that? 
Um, I, I think some of it's coincidence, but I think my, my big sweeping conclusion is uh, cable. And this was, uh, this was really the first summer where we all had these, these boxes on our TVs where you could watch more than the networks. And so we didn't just hear Prince, but we, we got to see him because he made these, these little videos that went with his songs. And David Stern loved taking that NBA commissioner job for a number of reasons, but one of them is he saw that pretty soon there were these outlets that were going to be able to pay a lot of money to us broadcast our games and fans could get to see us every day of the week, not just when there was one game of the week. And that was as Vince McMahon realized there was this, this force coming and I could consolidate all these wrestling promotions and put them in one big promotion. I'm going to call, you know, the, what was then WWF. Um, ESPN had a, had a big summer too, because suddenly everyone was watching cable and they realized that they could get a little bit of money from all these households that were getting cable. They could get a little sliver of that. And the more people ordered cable, that little sliver could grow to a real monthly fee. And pretty soon they could enter the game and start buying Monday night football. I mean, I I think a lot was going on that summer for a number of reasons, but I I think the, the rise of cable will loom large when we, uh, you know, hundreds of years from now, when they tell the stories of, uh, the 80s and 90s um, in America, I think uh, t- cable TV will be a big force. Frankly, John, yeah, hundreds of years from now, we will look back on episode 185 of the Jim Rome podcast and wonder how one guest could come in and break down gambling, the Olympics, tennis, a specific summer from 1984, the arts and culture. And the wonder, man, how did that one guy do that? But you did it. I appreciate it, John. Expertly done as always. Appreciate you, respect you, and that was a great conversation. Thank you so much for making time for us. Right back at you. Same, uh, same as ever. Pleasure. Once again, thanks to John Wertheim. What a pleasure to pick the brain of somebody that accomplished, and there are very few more accomplished than he is in the entire sports media industry. So once again, thanks to John for making so much time and coming on this side hustle of ours. Now, if you want to hear more conversations like that one, take a moment, smash the subscribe button. That way, when episode 186 drops next week, you will be the first to know you don't look for it. It will find you. In the meantime, let me get you your voicemails. First new message. What's up, man, Smack? This is Mr. Falcon in the sky. I really miss Adam Hawk. He may not have been the smartest bird in the nest, but he soared to new heights for our kind. Yippee-ki-yay me, motherfucker. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Rome, what's up? This is David from Buffalo. I'm calling in about our boy J.R. Swish going to tee it up for North Carolina A&T. How fucking cool is that, man? Roaming quick story, man. When I used to work in Seatown at the country club I worked at, J.R. Smith was a member there. He can play a little bit. Is he good enough to be like a Division One All-American and maybe play on the tour right now? Not yet, but I'll say this, man. This dude is a freaking gamer. This guy used to play golf in between NBA final games. This guy had a passion, a dedication for golf that he probably never had for the association. I'm rooting for J.R. Smith. I'm out, Rome. Message saved. Next message. What's up, Jimmy? It's Dr. Dave. You know, I got my sixth Jeopardy audition coming up here soon. I think I'm finally going to get it this time. I don't know. What what kind of Seinfeld joke do you think I should tell to the new host, Mike Richards? 
And what kind of Rex reference should I put on my name when I sign up for the contestant stuff? Anyways, all you fuckers out there, make sure to get your COVID vaccine. Make sure you get your flu vaccine. Stop being a fucking idiot. Get your fucking flu shots and your COVID shots. Dumb shit. Message saved. Next message. Jim Rowe, Matthew from Indiana. Congratulations on losing all that weight you put on. Uh, I just finished the reinvention podcast with Scott Ruggles. That's great stuff, man. He and I, and I guess you as well, kind of share a similar path. I left a successful career in car sales to go into graduate school, and now I'm a PhD student. And it's just a beautiful thing when hard work and the drive to make your dream happen work out. So just wanted to encourage all the other clones to keep pursuing that thing that you want to do. Keep dreaming that dream and work hard to make it happen. Peace. Message saved. Next message. Hi, Jim. This is Joe Buck, jock sniffer to the Hall of Famer, Troy Aikman. I was listening to the program today, and I heard a Mika wanting to lick the head of Garrett Ritt. Let me tell you, that is a disgusting act. Message deleted. You have no more messages.